On this week's Inside Marketing, I'll be talking about productivity in the workplace. I'll be joined by Bruce Daisy, best-selling author of The Workplace of the Future and host of the podcast Eat, Sleep, Work, Repeat. We'll talk about productivity in workplaces, a hot topic now as we try and figure out what post-COVID workplaces look like. That's productivity this week on Inside Marketing. The Inside Marketing Podcast, brought to you by Dentsu and Irish Times Media Solutions. Hello and welcome to Inside Marketing. Uh, so firstly, I want to say thanks to Bruce Daisy for joining me today. Thanks, Bruce, and uh, thanks, Amelia, for coming on, taking the time. Thanks, Dave. I'm really delighted to be here with you. Good. I'm a big fan of your podcast. It's, uh, yeah, it's it's really, it's brilliant in terms of, and I think right now, in this the world we're living in, in terms of hybrid working and the whole debate about are we as productive, is remote working better for everybody? So it's a really interesting topic. And we'll, we'll touch on your podcast later on in, in a while, but I recommend anyone who's listening to check out your podcast um, and your book because there's great stuff in there. But let's kick off. So overall, like, what is your view on remote wor- working generally? So yes, it's great for the individual because we need better work-life balance. And I totally get that. But I've you know, I had Fiona Kerr on, Dr. Fiona Kerr on a couple of weeks ago, and she was saying that we are we are infinitely better in terms of our brain patterns and syncing together when we're in a room. So is work remote working just better for the individual? Is it better for business or or what's the story? Is it better for pro- productivity generally or worse? Look, you know, really interesting moment that we're in because I think anyone who tells you that they've got all of the answers right now is, is trying to mislead you. And the best example I could give you of that, the best proof I could give you of that, is that some of these firms that we celebrate as the the, the most visionary organizations, Google's, the Apple's, the sort of big technology firms, they've unveiled their response to what's happening right now. Mm-hmm. And their workers have given them this sort of massive thumbs down saying, look, nah, nah, that's not the one. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's a really interesting thing that, no one's got the answers right now. But I think broadly, the way that I would describe it is when, um, we're sort of going through a, a period of deconstructing what the office is about, a, a moment where asking ourselves, what was the function of the office? And it's really interesting. That I, there's a guy I've I've come to really admire in commercial property. The really interesting thing about studying commercial property is that, you know, we all think about companies. They think about the flip side, you know, companies and, and workers to them are customers. And so they're trying to second guess how are people going to use offices? And, you know, is there too much office space or how do they package office space? And one of the, one of the people I've most admired in that space is a guy called Anthony Slumbers. And he's sort of this, this like um, sort of thought leader in the space, really. And he says, look, you know, the way that you need to think about this is a very famous innovations professor called Clayton Christensen. And Clayton Christensen talks about jobs to be done. So, you know, what is the job to be done? of, um, you know, what is the job to be done of a drill? Well, it, it's not, you, you don't buy a drill to own a drill. You buy a drill to mm. put a hole in it. And what's the job to be done of the office? And broadly, you end up with, you know, this idea that no one had an office to own an office. They had an office to have a productive workforce. So then mm. you sit there and go, okay, so what are the functions of the office? Now, one of them, I think, you know, when you were talking to me before, you said, look, one of them is about feeling a sense of rapport, a bond, a, a cohesion with your team. Absolutely. And I think the critical thing we're learning right now is that that sense of team cohesion isn't necessarily something that we um, we did in a very structured way before. So it might have been the way that we had team cohesion is you might have a couple of days where you'd never see your colleagues, mm. either because you'd be out and about or you'd be in back-to-back meetings. But then, you know, 
after the end of a long day, someone might say, should we go for a coffee or a beer? Or actually, mm. we've got an event tonight. And you'd have a great laugh with your colleagues. And all of a sudden, that team cohesion was created. I think now the moment we're in, uh, the big reason why workers are uh, generally showing that they want to continue with a bit of hybrid working, big reason is commuting. Yeah. Commuting, you know, across Europe, the average across Europe is, is around an hour each way for commuting. But, you know, you can have some people who have got longer commutes, got some people who've got shorter commutes, might involve dropping kids off or not dropping kids off. So, you know, it's sort of there's, there's different um, relationships. But generally what you find is the longer someone's commute, the more likely they are to mm. want to do hybrid work. Mm. And you can fully understand it. There's a gendered element to it as well. Um, women very strongly prefer... Um, hybrid working because they have more domestic responsibilities based on the evidence and they spend more time getting ready. So, you know, as mm. a result of that, saving two hours of time every day is a really fantastic gift for them. Um, so, so broadly, you know, we're in a situation where it's not that people don't want to be in the office, they don't want to be with colleagues, but they're saying, let's use the office in a fair way. And you'll have witnessed this, Dave, like people who are already back in the office are saying, you know what, I've, I made the journey in. Mm. I spent all day on video calls. Yeah, and you're not telling me, yeah, you're not telling me that's better. You know, you told me I've got to be in to have a good crack with my colleagues. Yeah. You told me I've got to go in to sort of have this, t these team bonds. I didn't speak to anyone in my team all day. All I did is I sp spoke to either clients on Zoom calls or, you know, a colleague who was working from home. It's like, this isn't what, mm. so I think we're in this zone right now where we're just un, un deconstructing all of this, trying to work out, look, if our goal is, the thing that you articulated at the start, to feel a strong sense of bond with our mm. team, then let's plan something that builds a strong bond with our team. And I think, you know, that's the moment we're in, really. Yeah. Yeah, no, it makes total sense. Um, and Like, it, it sounds great, you know, the idea work from home. And it is great in lots of ways. Even my own experience, I think it's great. Like, um, but it, like in an agency, and I know not every business is the same, but you mentioned it there, there's kind of social, every company has social events. Like the agency side of things that I'm in, it's quite a young business. Um, there's a lot of socialising that goes with that um, in terms of, and it's not it's not the kind of stereotypical everyone's brought out for a lot of pints during the day and boozy lunches, but there's a social aspect to it, whether that's going for coffees. There are some media owner events um, that just come with the job where you'd be taken out for dinners or drinks or that kind of stuff. So, so it's quite a, it's quite a, um, it's quite a social job in terms of a young, vibrant workplace in an agency. So, um, you know, and when you when you remove that fun and quite and particularly when you're younger, you're probably not living in it. You know, it's fine if you have a big house and you got a little office. You're sitting at a kitchen table and you're kind of working from home and you miss that social aspect. A lot of the fun is taken out of the job. So, is that kind of? Do you think that lack of social interaction with people is is making well, like with colleagues and friends is is just generally driving people to just feel a little bit fed up with things because we're seeing a huge talent drain in the industry and I, I keep I don't know where everyone's going because I keep reading that talent is a big problem for every industry so is this you know people just going do you know what I'm fed up I'm looking for a new job and it's it, it's kind of primarily driven by that lack of um, socialising in our job and our job has be, just become monotonous when we're sitting in the kitchen I think it's driving that yeah, most definitely. You know, there's, there's a couple of big elements to what you talk about there. It's like it, I spend a lot of my time trying to unpick and get to the bottom of, of good workplace culture, largely because I'm obsessed with it. You know, this mm. is a strange thing. If you've ever worked somewhere that's got a great culture, then it becomes this transformational thing where you're like, okay, I want to work in good places where there's good culture. Now, there's a lot of people who've never worked in these places. And so as a result of that, they think it's sort of this illusion. I remember... Um, 
somebody who worked in a UK agency, a, a media agency, was trying to explain to his American colleagues that culture was a big part of what their brand was about. And and the the American colleague said, I don't see it on the balance sheet. You know, you know, either you show me what uplift it's creating for the business, or it doesn't exist. It's like you know, a really sort of mm. transactional nature. But you know, I think anyone, any of us who've worked in the environment, we say actually that the interaction with our colleagues is part of the the package. Well, they seem to be reflected in the evidence. If you look on Glassdoor, so Glassdoor is the place where people can go and Mm. review their employers. Workplace culture is still the number one thing, more important than pay, more important than sort of the other term. So the people we spend our days with and our relationship with them just does play a a big meaningful part in the, the way that we enjoy our jobs. I think, you know, your point is exactly right, though. You know, if the job is going to be less fun now, then, you know, we need to have an awareness of that. What I would say to you is I wonder if this is a moment where the scales are dropping off our eyes to some extent. How much fun was it two years ago? Because, you know, while we might romanticize the highlights reel, we might say, actually, we have a lot of crack here. We do it. We sort of we have a lot of fun here. There's plenty of moments where people were sitting at their desk trying to just get emails done all day. You know, so many emails, so much communication, they weren't able to get it done. And of course, you know, someone might open a bottle or something at four o'clock or, you know, there, there might be someone saying, come to meeting room five because there's about to be mm. some, some drinks laid on. And we might have that, but I think we we weren't necessarily seeing it directly. I'll, I'll tell you now, you know, the, the first day I discovered the research about open plan offices, I, it was mind blowing for me because, you know, what you discover about open plan offices, you imagine, you, you perceive them like big restaurants, you perceive, like yeah. big open spaces, loads of light, art on the walls. What happens when people move from sort of more confined spaces to open plan offices is that their uh, they, their dislike of their colleagues goes up. Right. You know, people end up hating their colleagues. Really? And, and you remember as well, Remember that feeling when you were trying to get a meeting room? And mm. the, the universal experience of going into meeting rooms, there was there was always some stressed-looking individual huddled over their computer who would say to you in sort of, you know, a golem-like sort of strangleized word, he'd say, have you got this booked? Yeah, yeah, And, you yeah. know, it, and because we couldn't get any work done at our desks. So mm. I think, you know, the office wasn't necessarily as good as the way we've romanticized it. And I yeah. think all people are saying now is they're saying, look, you know, I'm here for the sort of team dynamics. I'm here for interacting with teams, but don't don't tell me that's something I need to do every mm. day. I think yeah. that's where we are. Yeah, good point, and it makes sense. I mean, like COVID. I don't know. We're in this like the great resignation in terms of people. Just, and I wonder, like, what what's your view on this in terms of people like in every industry just reevaluating where they are now and saying, you know what, I'm changing career. Is it because COVID was such a, a kind of seismic event in people's lives and it disrupted everything and kind of it really, you know, because you had to, you, know, you couldn't see your loved ones, you couldn't do things and and it made you take stock. So so has, you know, did people reevaluate their jobs and, you know, and, and, and reevaluate their own self-worth and actually come to the realisation that, you know what, I'm not prepared to put up with this anymore. I hate my boss. I hate my colleagues. I hate the job I do. And while I might have been able to put up with that or, you know, it was just a paycheck at the end of the month, do you think COVID made us kind of appreciate our, ourselves and, and take stock of our lives, which has resulted in this great resignation um, 
you know, is there something deeper going on, do you think, that, that's l- l- that made us kind of say, I'm not accepting it anymore? You talked about Glassdoor and culture and that kind of thing. A hundred percent. If you have a look at it, the, um, there's loads of evidence that when workers used to go to their bosses asking for flexible work, the bosses regularly used to say, that's not possible in this job. Yeah. And as a, as a result of that, we considered that work was filled with these non-negotiables that you couldn't work in a different way. You couldn't work remotely. You couldn't work flexibly. Now we've demonstrated, you know, a lot of organizations have seen that they've had two good years of business. Now, I don't know if you remember back to to this time two years ago, but there was a real sense of peril around a lot of organizations. You'll know in your your sector, a lot of firms went and renegotiated their contracts with workers. Mm. A lot of firms went and said, listen, you know, you've got to take a 10% pay cut because there was this existential threat we might not get through this. Mm-hmm. I remember chatting to someone who said, look, you know, unemployment's going to go up to 30%. So everyone was really braced for something terrifying. And here's, I think, the reason why we're in this zone where people are saying, okay, now something has fundamentally changed, is that all of those bosses who said these non-negotiables, you can only do this job face-to-face, now have been presented with the evidence which says, oh, actually, you can do this job remotely. Mm. Now, workers are just saying, look, Here's the news. If uh, if I can't do my job remotely for you, well, I've found out these four other firms that yeah. I can. So, you yeah, know, yeah. happy to stay here. I, w- I worked, um, I did a talk with one, really eye-opening, actually. I did a talk with one media agency in, in the UK. And they said to me, which I think sort of gives you an awareness, um, someone said to them, you know, I've always thought the reason why I stay here is because we've got a great culture. And, you know, <laughs> and so over the course of the last few years, I've stayed here probably longer than I would have stayed mm. at another job because I loved the people here. Now, in this time, I've realized while that's important to me, there's other things that are important to me too. And 10% more pay right now means I can make the lives of my family better. Mm. And so, like, like you say, it's it's probably it's removed us from this collective hypnosis that we were living through. You know, that we, we thought that some things were non-negotiable. We had to go along with some things that were just part of the job. And I think it's reminded us, I, I did an event for a big firm of chartered accountants back face to face. It was just, um, just before Christmas actually. And, you know, one guy articulated what I think a lot of people could identify with. He stood up to the boss. He like he stood up big questions and answers with the chief exec. He stood up, he said, look, I've done the best two years of the uh, best two years work of my career, you know, incredible work, incredible results. We've achieved massive results. Um, also, I've had the benefit of being doing the best two years of my my other job as a as a father. You know, I've mm. been had family meals. And he said to the chief exec, he said, I'm not going back to the way it was. Mm. And, and if I'm told I have to go back to the way it was, then I'll change something because yeah. I believe I believe I've done my job well, and I need to be recognised for that. And that, and that I think, is the moment we're in. People, you know, while you might see newspaper headlines in whatever country you're in, saying you know people are shirking from home, people aren't working. You know, it's easy for them. One boss said to me about his team. He said they like working from home because they don't need to shower and they can watch TV all day. <laughs> and it's like such a cynical perspective of yeah. the people who've probably been working quite hard in his team. But I think you know because it is a a, a seller's market in the jobs market right now. Mm. Um, because of that, I think people are saying I want to try and find an organisation that 
yeah, reflect yeah. my values a little. Yeah, and and look, it's it, it's it's important. I mean, not every job can be done. Um, obviously, it, it only applies to a certain amount of people, and that's forty, maybe I don't know what the figure in Ireland. I'm trying to find out what the figure was. I think it's about forty percent of people can actually work from home. Um, so, um. You know, do you, do you think, because you probably work with lots of different companies, um, and no disrespect to accountants, it's a fine profession. Uh, I, I'd imagine that's, that's. I, I wouldn't imagine there's a load of kind of crack going on when they're in the office. I'm, I'm, I'm being facetious, of course. But like, that work can probably be done uh, remotely because they're not brainstorming. It's not a creative, well, I mean, it can be creative accounting is a fine profession as well. But you know what I mean? The, the agency or the a creative industry where you've got to come up with ideas, you have to, you know, bounce off people. Do you think that there are just certain industries, um, even while they might be able to work from home, that they're better off, they need to be in the office more often than not, um, apart from the task-driven stuff? Like, am I being unfair to accountants saying, you just can all work from home because you don't need to bounce off each other? Is that true or not? I think there's an interesting uh, interesting framing, which helps us think specifically about certain frames of mind. So these, you know, people who sort of study creative thinking talk about um, divergent thinking and convergent thinking. And and divergent thinking is the idea that, you know, exactly what you described, brainstorming, getting 100 ideas on the wall and Mm. hoping that one of those ideas provokes Mm. in a sort of recombinant way that someone combines something with that and a, a better idea is created. Now, a lot of people will say the benefit divergent thinking is being in the room with people because there's some sort of very subtle social social cues that if I'm in a room with you, I notice you haven't said anything for five minutes yeah. and you've, you've sort of gone silent and you're not really reacting. And so when I'm in a room with you, I might be sort of, right, I might focus on trying to forge that connection again. Mm. Or, you know, we've all been in a situation where you're in a room, we're about to make a collective decision and then someone says, hang on, no one really seems that into this. And, you know, you recognize, yeah. you recognize those social signals. Thing is, for a lot of the meetings we do, even in that creative environment, they're not that sort of meeting. You know, they're what I would call convergent meetings. They are, um, they're where the objective is not to like have a million ideas bouncing around, but it's just status meeting mm. that we're just going to go through where we are yeah, on the yeah. plan, where everyone's taken it in turns to talk. There's no discussion. And, you know, the sort of meetings that a lot of people have on a Monday mm-hmm. where you sort of going through different teams and going through what they're talking about, you get those things done. Now, those meetings, I think, where there's less importance for discourse, debate, disagreement, yeah, um, those meetings work quite well when they're done remotely. So I would, I would broadly agree with you that when you've got something that requires, you know, the interaction between people, the sort of almost the dispute, the, the disagreement, those meetings seem to be Definitely yeah. for, for the generation of workers who've learned to do them remotely, uh, face-to-face, uh, those things seem to work best face-to-face. Mm. But the, I think the, the reasonable question that people might say is, look, you know, I've got whole days of the week where I don't have any discussions like that. I've got whole mm. days of the week where I, I don't have that. And to get me to come in every day just doesn't feel yeah, like yeah. the trade-off is worth it. So I think you know what it's forcing us to do Think about these things in a different way. I was really intrigued. I saw uh, the Hollywood writer, producer, director, J.J. Abrams. Like he's the man who sort of mm. rebooted Star Wars and done Star Trek and Lost. And he said, actually, his first instinct was to believe you couldn't do any creativity remotely. That was it. Like, he was like, okay, we're done. We're done. Till COVID's gone, 
everyone thought it'd be three months at the start. Till COVID's gone, no more creative work. He said, actually, it, it struck them that they just had to work out a way. And once they'd done that, they realized they could work in a different way. It just felt weird and different initially. Yeah. So like, you know, I hear you. Sometimes those ideas that bounce off people at their desks or they they sort of come from like a unstructured discussion at the end of a meeting. Sometimes those things, we recognize that they've got a real value to them. But I think, you know, the art is trying to sort of work out how we can... Um, Anyone who believes that the way to produce that right now is to get people together five days a week is just fighting a losing battle. Yeah, no, I agree. And I think, like, I mean, you are. If, if everyone in your industry has said, right, you know, I know people who work in the aircraft leasing industry, and that industry just wants everyone in the office. They just think they just don't trust people who work from home. So they want everyone in, and all their competitors have the same policy. And it's quite, there's not a lot of firms in that space, particularly in Dublin. So um, if you're working for Aircap, they want you to go into the office and if you don't like it, tough, because there's no other jobs, because there's not a huge amount of um, competitors where you can go. And they all seem to have the same policy. You, you kind of have to pace yourself in terms of the cadence with what your competitors are doing. Um, now, technology, un- unbelievable. You, you kind of said it there. I mean, the thoughts of, if someone had said to me back on, I don't know what day it was, like in the 12th, 13th of March um, 2020, that we will, we will not only work remotely for the, the guts of a year, but successfully um, I wouldn't have believed that was, it's just not going to happen it's just like business is just going to it's just going to you know the wheels are going to come off it's going to be a disaster but yet, yet, yet it's worked and we've had to be no choice right so the technology has been phenomenal and even you know teams I used to do this podcast in person and it was a nightmare and then the co- I, with COVID I just had to do them with teams and now I probably won't go back to doing them in person it's nice to do the odd one in person but it's brilliant because I get to speak to people I wouldn't get to speak to you know because they're not in Ireland now one thing I've found and it's a real, real frustration for me is that back in, you know, pre-COVID, you might have some internal meetings, but in clients, a busy day would be two, you know, possibly maximum three client meetings in a day. You wouldn't have any more than that because the logistics are going to their office or them coming to your office and waiting in reception and teas and coffees and sitting down and the whole kind of choreography of a meeting. So it'd be unheard of to have more than three client meetings in a day. Now, I found I can have eight meetings in a day because you're always available. So a client will literally think nothing of saying, hey, you're free for a meeting now. And, and the expectation is that, well, of course you're available unless you have another meeting on. And I found that you, I've have, I have far more meetings now since technology is the enabler of that than I ever had before. And to be honest with you, I've, I'm at too many meetings where there are A, too many people and B, it didn't need a meeting. It got, and an email would have done it. So in a way, my day is filled with, with meetings I don't need to have anymore because because they're easier to have. And the technology then, it becomes counterproductive because I don't have time to do anything. Is, is that, am I just kind of, is that just, I'm just unfortunate or do you think that that has crept into work culture now, this kind of, oh, let's have a meeting about everything that is not needed? Well, I think, you know, what you've firmly described is like the, the way that culture leak, um, that culture leaks between different organisations. So, you know, for example, what, one of the challenges of culture leak right now is this idea that you might, your firm might decide to be hybrid for, you know, work from home three days a week. But if you're in the client service business, well, if your clients want you to come in, yeah. uh, then you've got to do that or vice versa. You know, you might be in a sales organization, you know, you've got to sell to customers. And the old heuristics of that were very simple, you know, five meetings a week or six meetings mm. a week or seven meetings a week. There, there was, there were, 
firmly set, you know, top of the funnel work was that you go and do a certain number of meetings. Now you might mandate as many meetings you want, but your colleague, your the people you're selling to might not be in the office. Yeah. So this this sort of culture leak where firms interact with each other is a challenge. But the, the thing you raise is completely right. If you're dealing with a company who just believes that it's all about getting on video calls all day, then to some extent, it's very de- difficult to, to diverge from that. The, the challenge, I think, is that actually when we look into this, firstly, you know, meeting number doesn't correlate with productivity. There's some brilliant research that came out uh, this week. I sort of I do the, a newsletter on these things. And I put it in the newsletter. Brilliant research that said uh, they got 70 firms, a, a series of academics got 70 firms to experiment with meetingless days. So you had to commit to be part of the experiment. These were big firms. You had to commit as part of the experiment to have one day a week at least with no meetings. What they discovered was that, you know, if people had two meetingless days, that productivity went up by 70%. But, right. but interaction didn't go down. So if I've got to speak to Dave, I would say to Dave, oh, right, you know, so I guess what they mean by uh, meetings, no meetings, is like not like three or four people around a table or, yeah. or a Zoom call. But, you know, I could chat to you. So yeah, me yeah. contacting you, having a quick chat with you didn't count as a meeting. But what they found was people were very comfortable with the range of themselves. They were very quick. People felt more energized by having the freedom to do it. So, mm. you know, I hear you. We've uh, Microsoft published research that said that the amount of meetings had gone up by threefold during the pandemic. Right. And I believe it. Yeah. You know, people's jobs to a large extent now are meetings. Yeah. Yeah. It's cra- and it's crazy. And also because there's no there's no space issue. You know, you can have as many people as you want in a meeting. There's, a, there's no you can have, oh sure, we'll bring everyone to the meeting. It's just really um counterproductive. Um look, I, I see our office now. We've been we're fully open, we're grand, like COVID's gone, no masks, anything like that. So you'd swear it's it, there was not never any COVID, apart from the fact that there's literally nobody in the office some days. Uh, like in our place, tumbleweed in the office on Monday, Friday today, yeah, tumbleweed again. Tuesday, Wednesday, yeah, you know, maybe 20% attendance. Thursday seems to be a busy day, not sure why. Maybe it's people arranging drinks after work. Are there... Are there any kind of patterns forming that you see consistently happening? Is is there a kind of a, a, a distribution curve of days in the week that people seem to like? I guess Monday, no one wants to go back into work on Monday because like, oh, I'm just not in the mood because I can have a lie on and extend the weekend. But is that similar across most industries, do you think? Yeah, that's right. So um, there's, the, there's an organization that spends their whole time just studying the usage of offices. You know, like you imagine like they study what good offices look like, the usage of offices, they're called Leesman. And their research is amazing. What they discovered was that, firstly, the demand for offices has more than halved. Maybe won't surprise you, you know. So from the peak days, uh, the demand for offices is more than halved. The demand for Fridays has gone down three quarters. So back to your thing there. In fact, I've seen some brilliant work on it. I saw um, a couple of charities, sort of nimble charities, said, hang on, big issue that we've got is getting some space to to do stuff. You know, Mm. one of these charities were training refugees how to code. They said, we've just discovered that basically the half of every city you go to now, the city centre is empty on a Friday. So we found some space. So they started training these refugees uh, in office, empty offices on Friday. Brilliant work. But I think, you know, um, what you described is exactly right, that these days of the week are developing new rhythms to them. We used to be very familiar that Monday to Friday looked like a certain way. Saturday and Sunday looked like a certain way. You know, actually, Saturday was a bit different from Sunday. You could go to more shopping on Saturday, you know, or domestic stuff. I think 
different days of the week are going to get even more of a character now. Friday's going to feel very different to Wednesday. Yeah. You know, so to, to your thing before, if the days of the week were Friday was a little bit of a social day anyway, yeah. you know, probably a slightly lower pace, maybe Thursday's going to develop that character to it. Right. Friday will be most people working from home, clearing up paperwork, mm. sort of wrapping up the week. So I think there is going to be a different rhythm to the way we use mm. time going forward. Yeah, yeah, we're still trying to figure that out. And so, yeah, I want to get your your view. And it sounds like I'm getting this is all like I'm using this as a as a session to for for Dentsu. Like, but like I guess <laughs> the, the problems we're seeing or the issues that we're kind of struggling with. I guess lots of companies are struggling with it. So we have a view. We're, we're going to be grown up about it. It's going to be, you know, two days a week in the office, right? But we're not dictating to people because the complexity of people trying to navigate whatever day suit them. So we're kind of saying. You're all grown-ups. Try and come in because we know that there are benefits to team being together, particularly for onboarding new people and team building. So we've lots of small teams and our ask is that you, you you try and come in two days a week. Now, what's happening is, which is just common, it's human nature, some managers like to come in the office because it suits them. So you've got some managers who are probably coming in three, maybe four days a week. And you've got other managers who probably don't want to come in at all because it doesn't suit them. So the manager sets the, the expectation and the culture. So if you're on a team and your manager's coming in maybe once every two weeks, well, then you'll probably do accordingly. And if you're a similar, if you're if you're on a team and your manager's coming in three days a week, you probably feel, even though it's not mandated, you probably feel, oh, I, I better go in those three days a week. So we're in a position now, I don't know what to do in this because like, it seems to be the flexibility, or the agility that we empower teams to have um, isn't, like not everyone's coming in two days a week. So, but I feel like if we say to people, you must come in two days a week and now we're going to get heavy handed on it. It feels like we're going back to the old way of, you know, you know, you have to come into the office and it's very, um, you know, we're, we're kind of surveillance almost and, and, and not empowering people. What's your view on that? Do you think, is it fair to say to people, our expectation is two days a week and you must do two days a week or, or is that kind of taking the good out of, uh, the spirit out of trusting people? What do you think? Yeah, I mean, look, I think the most critical element is um, is trying to have an open discussion where we talk about the, the reasons and the whys. So, look, you know, I'll tell you this. A lot of time studying workplace culture, and the one thing that good workplace cultures have is a sense that we're all in this together. Mm. And so uh, the sense of connection, the sense of bonding is we have when we're all in this together. And so if someone is making an individualistic choice, which is I don't want to come in at all, then it's a bit like, you know, to, to some extent and and risking the danger of politicization, but the, to, to some extent, the, the danger of vaccines. Someone might say, I don't want to get vaccinated, my personal health reasons, whatever. But the truth is vaccines work when everyone gets vaccinated. Yeah. And so sometimes you make a collective decision because it's it offers collective protection. And offices are a bit the same, you know, we're all in this together. So look, these are, these are very strong. Once you recognise that there is a, um, a power of people being together with each other. There's a very strong network effect when people are around each other. One of the best culture I saw, uh, you know, in this time of experimentation, one organisation said our culture is Wednesday plus one. Right. Okay, that, that's interesting. So tell me more. They said Wednesday plus one. Wednesday, everyone is in on Wednesday. Right. You know, that's where we build our team cohesion. That's where we sort of form these moments of connection. That's where we're going to do collective things. It's non-negotiable Wednesday plus one. Mm. Okay. 
the plus one, come in whatever other day you want. You know, so we want the office not to feel like a ghost town. We want to sort of feel goods, you know, feel like there's people around, but you you pick your day. Now, for me, that that captures the moment we're in because yeah. it says, okay, there is something special about Wednesday's going to be filled with these team dynamics, the team bonding, a brainstorming session, right, a Wednesday, you mm. know, uh, team drinks Wednesday, right? There's a benefit. Wednesday feels different. Yeah. The plus one is pick your day. You know, day, yeah. we're, we're, and and so you get for me that that is one of the best things I've seen. That firstly feels instinct instinctively like it could work. Secondly, it's not too oppressive, but there is a degree of, you know, we're all in this together. Is that in that we've said Wednesday is look the day you need to do it. Now mm. there are the interesting thing is that you know we are comfortable in other areas with having a few hard and fast rules and, and, you know, having these non-negotiables, even the, some of the companies who've been doing the remote working thing for a long time. So, you know, some of these tech firms have been doing it for a long time. Yeah. They often say they've got some real, really firm rules. So like the company that makes WordPress, it's called automatic. And their rule is this, is that, you know, in the, in the old days, the way that we did work was that you spent 12, uh, 11 months a year together with each other working in the office one month a year away from each other. They say, as is the opposite. So now you spend 11 months a year working wherever you want, you know, from the in Nepal to the beaches of uh, Florida, you can work wherever you want. But uh, one, one month every quarter, actually one month a year, actually one week every quarter, it's non-negotiable. It's part of your contract. You need right. to be together with colleagues. So what they say there is like, basically, uh, quarter one, it'll be actually there's a team gathering in some place. Uh, quarter two, it's the whole company is going to gather somewhere. Right. Quarter three, it's like your department is going to be gathering somewhere. So they, but it's they say, you know, make sure as part of the job, make sure you've got someone who can look after your cat. Make sure you've got someone who can feed your granny. Mm. Don't accept the job unless once a quarter you can do those things because it's non-negotiable. And I think that sense that there's times where we do need to understand that to be part of an organisation, we need to, yeah, um, you know. Share uh, share the benefits with the organisation. I, I recognise it can feel against the spirit of the moment, but I yeah, think the yeah. best organisations have learned that they had to do it. Yeah, no, it makes sense. So I hear, I think, and I mean, it is all very new to us in terms of managing how we do it in the teams. But I think, you know, um, we'll see how it goes. But I, I do think maybe, you know, you can give people enough free reign, but you probably have to set some boundaries and things. So that makes sense. I like that Wednesday plus one. Heineken have a great thing. Something to guys in Heineken and their, their policy is um, you turn your out of office on when you're going into the office because they don't want you because you're going to have a day where you're on screen uh, and you're on Teams calls. Do that from home. So when you go into the office, you kind of treat that like shut the laptop down. Wow. And so that's a kind Who of does that? that's amazing. Heineken have this kind of view, and that's like the way that they want people to be doing it. It's a really, really nice way, I think, of of rethinking what the out of office does. Don't be on your laptop. So um, now. I heard Scott Galloway on your podcast. I love Scott Galloway. I heard him on your podcast. God, it must be was last summer, I think. I'm sure. I don't know if you remember having him on. Now, Scott is he says things like it is to be honest with you. Like, and he, sometimes he can say unpopular things. Now, he's firmly of the view that, um, you know, he, he says, you know what, remote working, work life balance, it's all nonsense. If you're young, starting out in your career, 
the people who are going to get on in and get to the top are the people who are going to be in the office and they're going to work their asses off while they can before they've got kids, before they've got wives and commitments. Um, now, that might be an unpopular view, but do you think it's true? Um, or do you think, no, 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 It's it, that's he's completely wrong on that? Because um, I don't know, it's an interesting point and he's brave to say it because it is unpopular, I think. It goes against everything that we, you know, correctness in terms of the, the the mood music we want to put out in terms of new employment. So what do you think of that? Yeah, I mean, look, it's a really interesting point. And actually, when you look at the, um, when you look at sort of how the office plays out, some firms are already getting ahead of it. So Slack, the American technology company, have said that their workers, their bosses need to work from home at least two days a week to avoid this sense that, you know, if you want to get loads of FaceTime in the office, to avoid the sense that actually by being in the office, somehow you're going to advance your career because mm. like the bosses won't be there every day. Yeah. So, you know, it's really interesting. Some organizations are getting ahead of that. But I think, you know, it's one of the dangers built into the system. So anyone who doesn't see hybrid working, remote working as a diversity and inclusion issue is, is being selected with picking the data. There's really strong evidence from multiple ways, you know, there was some really good evidence produced by an American organization. So American, but it said uh, they looked at young uh, workers, how excited they were to go back to the office. Um, young white workers were significantly, low numbers across the board, but young white workers were significantly more excited about going back to the office than young black workers. Mm. Why? Because largely they were experiencing day-to-day microaggressions, you know, people making comments to them, people assigning sort of uh, emotions to them that weren't there. I, I heard one young woman in her 20s say uh, a couple of weeks ago saying the best thing about working from home is there hasn't been the constant sexual harassment. Right. A cheeky comment from someone here, yeah, yeah. you know, something, you know, something that they don't consider bad. I've avoided all of that for two yeah, years. Yeah. It's really interesting. The experience of offices isn't necessarily as as welcome as we might think. But, you know, Scott Galloway makes a fair point. If bosses are going to be in the office every day, and we know from the research that the people who love the offices the most are bosses, Mm. if bosses are going to be in the office every day, then organizations need to go out of their way to ensure that it just doesn't create a sense of presenteeism where you think if you want to get in, you get, um, get on, you get in. Yeah, you know, you you want to avoid that. I think. Yeah, because it's like it's no different to like back in the day. It was it was like presenteeism. You know, if you were seen to, if you were really, you know, on it, and you you like you ploughed through work and you left at half five, it, it, it was quietly frowned upon. Um, whereas if you stayed there, you could have been staying and you know whatever I don't know doing reading up on football news. But if you stayed till after the boss was gone. You're like, oh yeah, great worker. Um, and it's the same type of thing if you're around. It's just kind of a new, a new kind of take on that. Um, productivity generally, because you're you're kind of an expert in, in this area. Is there any evidence to suggest that we we actually are as productive at home? Or now I mean productivity, I know in terms of maybe some things are better done in the office, like in terms of, you know, the things we talked about, but overall, just general productivity. Is there any evidence to suggest that we're we are equally as productive at home? Or or is it like you know what, I found it hard to adapt to work from home at the start. It's just a mental thing. I just I found I couldn't switch into work mode. Like, because my wife would be saying, oh, while you're there, will you will you hang the washing out or something like that? And I'd be like, yeah, well, I'm work- like, I'm, I might be here, but I'm working. Think of me like I'm not here. But it's impossible. Like, you know, things distract you. Um, and I found it hard. I got I got well used to it and I became, I, I became much better at it. But 
my sense was that I wasn't as productive. Um, and I still I still think I'm I'm probably more productive when I go to the office because I click into, um, there's no distractions and I click into work mode. At the moment, there's more distracting being in the office because you haven't seen people in two years and everyone's chatting to you. But is there any evidence that says, no, we are equally, what you lose in some kind of productivity you gain on, uh, you know, a lack of two hours commuting? What's the data saying to, the, uh, to that point? Completely fair point. So uh, a panel of uh, 200 economists were asked to predict, will remote working increase productivity? And they came back pretty ambivalent. They said, look, you know, it might improve worker satisfaction, but we we don't think there's any evidence it's going to improve productivity. Probably the leading expert on it is a guy called Nick Bloom, and he thinks productivity will go up by about 5%, largely based on people working a little bit more by the fact that they're saving commuting time. So look, you know, I would say it's within inside the, the statistical margin of error. I don't think productivity is probably the big upside of this moment, but employee satisfaction and and, uh, and sort of worker happiness is probably the big benefit. Mm, yeah. Um, where do you think it ends up at the moment? Like, so we're going for two days a week. What do you think the future is? Do you think it's going to end up at two days a week? Is that going to be the norm or a day a week or where do you see it going? Yeah, I think I think probably one or two days a week is where it will end up. Um, it raises big questions for firms, doesn't it? You know, if if you're only in the office one or two days a week, do you need an office? Yeah. Uh, if if you're only in the office one or two days a week, actually, you know, what does it change the nature of of the relationship you've got? Do you need as much space? What does your office look like? You know, actually, is it about you and your boss get together once every two weeks for lunch? You know, you don't need an office. It mm-hmm. sort of it starts changing the nature of, of of how we work together. The interesting thing, I think, is that you know, for the first time, we're we're starting to really diagnose what is our team about. What what is the job we're tasked with? How do we measure whether someone's doing it? Because if you can't see every, someone every day, you start being very honest with yourself about well, what's the contribution that I'm expecting everyone to make here. So mm-hmm. look. I think it's forcing a far more systemic re-evaluation of the way we're working. Probably no bad thing. Yeah. Um, I'm not going to keep you much longer. I just want to ask you before you go, tell me just a little bit about your background and what you do. And you've mentioned lots of research. So tell me about your podcast. So if anyone's listening, where can they find out a bit more information about the things that you're doing? Can they get in contact with you? Have you any, um, you've a newsletter you said. So just give people a little bit of info where they can find out more. Yeah, everything's on the, the website of my podcast, which is called eatsleepworkrepeat.com. Um, yeah, I mean, so, you know, I spend my whole time, I worked for a long time at Twitter. I worked for eight years as the vice president of Twitter for Europe, Middle East and Africa. So, you know, actually, my interest in workplace culture came while I was doing that job, trying right. to keep that team motivated and and energized and inspired. And, and largely, I was making so many mistakes. I thought, I'm going to just chat to experts on these right. things. So, you know, uh, the, the, through a sort of dark period of our culture, it, was, it became like a focus of how can you use research to make things better. Um, so that's, you know, that's my background. I've worked in technology firms prior to Twitter. I worked at YouTube. And then prior to that, I sort of worked in publishing and media. So mm. I sort of worked, you know, in the in the creative industries as well. But yeah, that, that was my background. And uh, I guess, you know, big focus for me is that I've got a new book coming out in August this year, which is about the, the myth of resilience, really. Why, okay. why so much mistruth is spoken about resilience. So right. uh, okay. I'm, I'm intrigued in the, the way we sort of interact with our organizations. 
Very good, very good. Well, Bruce, thanks so much for joining me today. I know you're a busy man, so, so thanks for making, for making the effort. Cheers. Thanks, Bruce. Thank you, man. So, yeah, thanks, Bruce, for joining me. That's it. That's all she wrote, folks. We are out of time again. I want to say thanks to you, Bruce, for taking the time today to speak to me. Um, and I urge people to check out your podcast. It's brilliant. Eat, sleep, work, repeat. You'll find all the details um, on eatsleepworkrepeat.com. Thank you again also to our partners at Irish Times Media Solutions. And as always, Big thanks to Andrea on Sound and Kira in Marketing. If you like this episode, why not follow us wherever you get your podcasts? Why not listen back to some of our other great episodes? Um, why not recommend us to a friend or a colleague? You'll find our back catalogue by simply typing Irish Times Inside Marketing into your search engine of choice. So until next time, thanks for listening. The Inside Marketing Podcast, brought to you by Dentsu and Irish Times Media Solutions.